everyone, and welcome to this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma, and I am so pleased that you decided to join me for this episode. Before we get started, as usual, I'd like to take care of a couple of housekeeping measures before we really get into the meat of what the episode is about. So don't forget that if you have not subscribed on your favorite podcasting platform, please do so today because you don't want to miss out on a single episode. Because if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, you can be sure that we are talking about it here on this show. So don't miss out on a single thing. Also want to let you know that you can find out more information about today's guest and where you can buy her books by going to the show notes and you can find those at christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com. And there will be links there for you to be able to find out more about this guest and her books. And you don't want to miss out on that opportunity either. There, now all that is done and taken care of, and we can give our full concentration to today's guest. I am so excited that she agreed to come on the show and to chat with us. She is the award-winning author of four books. She was first published in 2017, and her books include Lady Jane Disappears, A Rumored Fortune, Finding Lady Enderly, and the love note that was just published back in October. I have to tell you, I have read most of these books. They are just beautiful and gorgeous. She has the loveliest voice and a really unique but wonderful way of writing that just draws you in, and it's rich and it's full. And if you have not ever read this author's books, then you need to pick them up and you need to read them. Of course, by the titles, perhaps you have guessed that we are talking about Joanna Palatano, and it is my great honor to welcome Joanna to the show today. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Well, we are so glad to have you with us. I read your book, The Love Note, absolutely loved it, just thoroughly enjoyed it, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But before we really get started, why don't you just introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. I'm Joanna. I'm a homeschooling mom. I have two little kids who are four and six. Uh, so my oldest is just now learning how to read. And I worked for a nonfiction publisher before I had kids. And then I worked for a pharmaceutical company as well as a medical writer. So I came from a, a varied background. And then I got into fiction writing when I stayed home with my babies. That's great. How do you manage to find time to write while homeschooling? That's really a challenge. <laughs> it is becoming more of a challenge. When my kids were real little, nap time was my, my writing time. And as nap times are slowly going away, it's becoming independent homework time and quiet book reading time <laughs> for about 45 minutes of the day. And I kind of depend on getting up before them as well and sneaking in some hours before they're up. You're juggling a lot of plates and you're doing it beautifully because your books are just wonderful. Well, thank you. It's a great escape. That's for sure. <laughs> Sometimes we all need that. Yes, definitely. Where did the idea for the love note come from? Well, the idea came from a very last minute pulled together story idea. My publisher had asked me for the next three book ideas 
So I gave them the ones that had been percolating in my head, and they rejected one of them and said, can you get us another one in a few days? Or I don't remember how long I had. It was short to me because normally books will sit in my head for several years while I write other books, and I make notes, and I think about them, and I do some Bible research and things like that. So this was very much like, okay, I have no other ideas. (laughs) But there was a friend of mine had just released a book, and I hadn't read it yet, but the title was about a lost love letter. And I just thought that was the coolest concept. And so I kind of stuck on that idea and started thinking a little bit about my grandparents, who are a World War II couple. And most of their dating relationship before they were married was through letters. I think they'd only actually met in person a handful of times. And it really depended largely on letters. And so I was thinking a lot about how much we can express in letters and maybe how much gets left out uh, and the nuances and the expressions and things. So I just started thinking about letters and the impact they can have, you know, between couples and things like that. So then I started thinking about what would be in that letter and who might have received it and who might have written it and things like that. And uh, that's how the story took shape. That's really interesting. I love that your grandparents got to know each other through letters. That's so charming. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they were a wonderful couple. So tell us a little bit about the story of the love note. Like, what is the book about? Well, there's a woman who is working with her father, a physician, and she herself wants to become a physician. She's a trained nurse, and she just has huge aspirations to become a doctor and fix some of the things that are broken in the healthcare system in Victorian England. So she kind of wants to fall in love and get married, but kind of not because it will really interrupt her bigger plans. So she escapes her father trying to matchmake her. And she says, all right, give me one chance to be a nurse. And she has found this letter in an old desk in her room, this love letter that was never opened and never delivered. And she is so determined to figure out who it belonged to. So she takes a nursing assignment at the home that the desk came from. And the letter was unsigned. And so she's just trying to piece together who might have written it and uh, who it was supposed to go to. And she has no idea if it's too late for this couple or if they're even still alive or married to other people. But she really wants to do her best to find out what happened to them and see if she can deliver the letter. And when she gets there, she ends up misplacing the letter, and it gets picked up and found by somebody who believes they have an anonymous admirer. That's interesting. And then all kinds of chaos ensues after that, doesn't it? Oh, of course. That makes a good story. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun to read. And as the letter gets passed around this household, all these different people keep thinking the letter is for them. And it's amazing to watch how the beautiful words of the letter really affect each of the different characters in the book. Oh, yes. It was a lot of fun to come up with how each character would read all the little nuances of the letter. There are some very specific things that they all think apply to them for different reasons, and that was sure fun to come up with. I bet that was. Now, I don't want to say the plot was complicated because it was really very easy to follow, but it's intricate, and there are a lot of moving pieces and a lot of puzzle pieces that have to get put together. Did you do a lot of plotting? When you started, did you know the end of the book? Yes, to both of those. I did about three or four months of nothing but plotting, and I totally knew the ending before I even started down the road of plotting. 
I knew who had gotten the letter, who was supposed to get the letter and who had written it. And I spent a lot of time, you know, mapping out the entire plot. And then I dumped it all because it was wrong. And (laughs) I ended up just writing the way I've written all my other books, which is just kind of as I go, letting the mystery unfold page by page. And it ends up being a lot more fun and a lot more authentic that way. But was it really hard to write such an intricate plot as a pantser? (laughs) A little bit, but it was kind of easy because I didn't have any plot points that I was like, okay, now I've got to turn this direction somehow and I've got to make this fit in. It was kind of just, it wandered wherever it was supposed to go. And sometimes that works really well with intricate plots because the story just tells itself instead of trying to force it onto a map. But I did struggle quite a bit with coming up with the pieces because every piece that I came up with just seemed wrong and it seemed to not quite fit. And part of it was I was trying to use pieces of the plot that I had spent so long building and most of it just didn't work. And it wasn't, you know, once the characters got on the page and I got to know them a little bit better, what I had planned for them just wasn't functional. So it was a lot of writing several chapters and then deleting half of it writing a bunch more, deleting half of that, and trying all different directions until I figured out uh, the way it was supposed to fit together. Well, it did. It came together in the end, and I absolutely loved the ending. I won't say any more because I don't want to spoil anything for any of the listeners, but <laughs> very satisfying ending. And, and it's good. good to know because I'm a pantser too, and sometimes I think I'm the only one who has such a mess on my hand as I'm <laughs> writing because I have no idea which direction it's going to take me in tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it sounds like we're kindred spirits then. Yeah, that's that's definitely the way I write. <laughs> And that's the fun of it, though, because as an author, then you sort of get to find out the story just in the same way that the readers would find the story out. Yeah, it definitely makes it a lot more fun and it makes it easier to hide your twists and turns because you don't know them. Then hopefully your reader won't figure it out either. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now, I have noticed that there are a whole lot of books lately that are set in England or in London in particular, and yours is also set in England. Why do you think that is? Why this spate of books that are set over in Great Britain? We've had a a real, um, a whole lot of TV that was set in Great Britain, I think, that really piqued people's interest over the pond. Uh, Things like Downton Abbey, Upstairs, downstairs, a lot of things that really took off. And it's just, it's it's enough like our culture that we can understand it and it's accessible, but it's slightly different, so it's a little bit interesting. For me personally, I started writing stuff overseas long before it was, you know, something that publishers were looking for, just because that's always where I read. I read the Brontes and Dickens and things like that. So that's where my interest was. And, of course, my family, my ancestors are from Scotland, Ireland, and England. So it was kind of natural for me to want to set books there. And it just took a while for the publishers to, I guess, be okay with with going overseas instead of writing American history. But there are certainly a lot of really good classics set over there. And like I said, some really popular television shows. I never thought of the television shows, but I'll bet you're right. And that's what is piquing a lot of people's interest in England right now. Yes, and Poldark is another one, actually, now that I think about it. And Outlander, and and it seems like there's so many 
And it's become, you know, such a novelty, all those countries that, you know, are just slightly different than ours. You're right. And it used to be that publishers would not look at much of anything that was not set in America. And that has slowly changed over the years, which is great. I am very grateful for it. There are some excellent, excellent books that are set overseas right now. Now, you mentioned Dickens and the Austins, or, or I'm sorry, the Brontes. So you enjoy the classics then, am I I'm assuming correctly? Oh, absolutely. And I do appreciate Jane Austen, but probably not as much as I appreciate Dickens. He just had such textured stories. And some of them, the situations and the characters were quite exaggerated. But his plot twists and the turns and everything that he takes you on were just so much fun. I also liked Daphne du Maurier, a little bit more contemporary, but she always manages to surprise me, and I love that. She's a little bit darker, but she's always very interesting. And when I was a kid, I loved Roald Dahl and C.S. Lewis. They kind of both stretched my bounds of the bounds of my imagination and reality and things like that. So that was always fun for creativity. Oh, yes. I I loved Roald Dahl and James and the Giant Peach was like one of my favorite ones that he wrote. I loved that book. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a great one. It sure was. And the all the whole Chronicles of Narnia were just fabulous. C.S. Lewis was wonderful. Yes. I'm getting really excited to share the Narnia Chronicles with my kids, actually. It's just, it feels like taking them on an adventure. I'm thrilled. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What fun. What fun that will be when they can get old enough to understand that and truly enjoy those. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Now, have you ever received a love note? Oh, goodness. I'm trying to think. Probably. It seems like in college, the guy that I was dating used to leave me letters. And my husband, he's, he's not one for words or writing so much, but he writes the most beautiful, beautiful cards for, I don't know, almost any reason at all, it seems like, and leave some for me in my Bible. And I absolutely love that. Oh, that's really, really sweet. He sounds like a really great guy. Oh, he's absolutely wonderful. It's just we're such opposites because he's not so much into books and writing and things like that. So for him to write me a letter, it's, it's about, you know, tenfold of a blessing. So I really enjoy when he does that. Does he read your books? (laughs) Do you want the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. So far, I've been fortunate enough that the first three of my books came out on audio. And so he was able to listen to them. He drives a lot for work. And so he listens to them in the car. And then he'll come in the door and he'll say, so why did this person do that? And and why did you say this? And why was this like this? And I have to kind of remember, oh, yeah, he's listening to my book. So the my most recent book, The Love Note, is not on audio. And I'm kind of bummed about that. But he is actually sitting down in front of the fireplace every night to read a chapter a night. And I don't think there's anything quite more touching because he's just, like I said, he's not a book person at all. He's more of a hands-on, fix-it kind of guy. <laughs> but it's... You know, I didn't even ask him to read my book. So it was very special to me when he just sat down and started reading it. You're right. We are kindred spirits because my husband sounds exactly <laughs> like yours, exactly like yours. And uh, it is very touching when they pick your books up and, and read them. And it's it's sweet that they would do that for us. Oh, it sure is. And I think so many writers tend to marry their opposites. I don't know why that is. 
but I, I, I hear from a lot of writers who have a husband with a similar personality type. <laughs> I think we need somebody to ground us, you know, because we get tend to get lost with our heads in the clouds and our, our minds on different characters and different times. And we need somebody to keep us in reality. Oh, that's so true. Uh, there's a line in, in my book, The Love Note, actually, that talks about, you know, don't be afraid to marry somebody who's sort of the flagpole to your flag. Because, you know, you can decorate the gray metal of their life and they'll keep you grounded so that you are more able to fly. And that's exactly what he does for me. I do remember that line from the book, and I absolutely loved that metaphor. It's it's so very true and, and really wonderful. Yeah, it actually helps to look at my husband through that lens. <laughs> <laughs> what are you most looking forward to in 2021, besides being done with COVID? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are several books I'm looking forward to. Christy Cambron has a great one coming out. Jamie Jo Wright has a great one. So many great books came out in 2020, and I feel like 2021 is just setting up for even more good books. I'm looking forward to just getting back into, you know, the regular co-op and ballet lessons and all that kind of thing that we've had to put on hold this year. And then I'm releasing a ballet book next year, so I'm kind of excited about that too. Oh, a ballet book. Tell us a little bit about that. So that book is set in the Victorian theater, which was totally not my comfort zone because I don't know very much about ballet, but my daughter is, she's six, and she's in love with ballet. She's been dancing around the house in tutu since she was two or three, and she just absolutely loves it. So I actually, when she was about four, I was like, okay, I need to write a ballet book and you know have something dedicated to her. And so I started taking her to live ballet performances when she was about four. And we've gone to about two or three a year. Wasn't sure how she would do, but it was the most amazing mother-daughter experience. She loved it. And she was absolutely glued to that stage. And so I, in turn, would sit in the audience and watch her get so excited. And it did something to my heart, too. And I got excited about ballet, which, you know, was never something that was really my thing. But when I wrote this book, it just became full of the color and the life that I could see in her. So it was a really fun book to write. That does sound like an awful lot of fun. And that's such special memories that you've made between yourself and your daughter. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like it's going to be a very special book. I hope so. I just turned it into my publisher. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And what's the title of it? It's called Midnight Dance. Okay, very good. And when does it release? Uh, sometime in the fall of next year. In the fall of next year. Okay, you're going to make us wait for it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun a fun release, I think. And is that about the time frame that you release books? Is about one every year? Uh, yes, it's about sometime between July and October of every year. I release one book. I don't think I could uh, do a good job of writing more than that every year. <laughs> yeah, especially with all that you have going on, that's for sure. Definitely. Well, we really appreciate you stopping by and chatting with us today. And we love your books. Thank you so much for the beautiful story that you've given us in the love note. And we will be looking for your next book coming out next fall. 
Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm actually looking forward to reading your new release pretty soon as well. I have it on my shelf. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Is there anything, one last thing that you'd like to say to the listeners? Thank you so much for enjoying my stories along with me. It's been a blessing to write them and an even bigger blessing to get to share them with people. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll look forward for that book in the fall of next year. All right. Thank you, Liz. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today's episode. Thank you once more for joining me. I'm so glad that you came along and I'm so glad that you listened to the podcast and that you support it. It really does mean a lot to me and I really do appreciate it very much. You'll want to join me for next week's show when I ask my listeners what their favorite historical time period is to read. So if you don't follow Christian Historical Fiction Talk on either Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, make sure you go over there now and that you do so so that you can get in on this poll because we're going to be talking a little bit about these different time periods and why you like them and why you may not like them. So this is another episode where you get some input into what we talk about. I wish I could have all of you on the show, but I can't. But here's your chance to get a little bit of input on what we talk about. So make sure you head over to my social media and answer that poll. Also, I would love it if you would check out my website, which is liztolsma.com. You'll be able to find out some information there about my new release, The Gold Digger, which is a romantic suspense set in LaPorte, Indiana in 1907 and 1908. And you will also find there a great Christmas novella collection that I am part of that just released in September. So you might want to pick that up for the holidays as well. Don't forget that you can find out more about Joanna and about her books on the podcast website, which is christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com. Thank you so much for joining me, and we will see you next time.